Good morning. Hey, hey. Yes. I tried to get a new picture of Genesis for us since the old one was outdated. And that's the first time I've seen it on the screen. And I don't know if that's any better than the one I had. So it's going to take some work. Okay. Welcome. If you're visiting this morning, uh, we're currently, uh, we just started Genesis. And the title of our series is Creation, Culture, and Christ. And we're, we'll, we'll finish day one today. Sorry, we'll finish Genesis 1 today. Um, the title of the sermon is The Crown Jewel of Creation. We'll be in Genesis 1, 20 through verse 31. Let me open by reading. Genesis 1, starting in verse 20. Then God said, let the water swarm with living creatures, and let the birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the sky. So God created the large sea creatures and every living creature that moves and swarms in the water according to their kinds. And he also created every winged creature according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. God blessed them. Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the waters of the seas. And let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came, and then the morning, the fifth day. Then God said, Let the earth produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that crawl, and the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So God made the wildlife of the earth according to their kinds, the livestock, and all the creatures that crawl on the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them, male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also said, look, I've given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth, and every tree whose fruit contains seed, this will be food for you. For all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then the morning, the sixth day. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, as we look at your word uh, in the opening chapter of the Bible, of the scriptures, you, uh, it claims that you are responsible. You are the agent of creation. You are the one who has given the breath of life to every living creature, to the birds, Lord, to the, the sea creatures, and to the crown jewel of creation, which is to humans, Lord. And God, I pray that you would give us insight and understanding today, Lord, to, to show what the implication is uh, on how you perceive life, how we should perceive life, and God, that that would uh, be lived out, Lord, in our daily lives, and that we would bring glory to you and Christ through the reality and the truthfulness of your word, God, and what it means for you to just not to be the one who made all of creation, the heavens and the earth, but who also gave the breath of life to human beings. 
So God, help us understand your word today. And as the song said, cause our heart to praise you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we briefly looked at days two through four, which were the separation of the sky and sea on day two, the creation of the land and the seed-bearing plants on day three, and then the placement of the sun, moon, and stars on day four. Today, we're going to look at days five and six, which is, is the inhabitants, of, uh, which will populate day uh, two through four. It's the living creatures that God creates on day five and six, and especially the creation of humans. And that's going to be our emphasis for today's sermon, beyond the creation of humans, because Genesis 1 makes a significant claim which places value and worth on human beings above everything else in God's creation. And we will make note of that unique distinction because it is fundamental in understanding that humans are the crown jewel of God's creation. For Cornerstone, just a pastoral note. For visitors, a bonus. <laughs> I, before we get into the sermon, I, I, I want to take a brief minute just to say something about this current sermon series on creation, culture, and Christ. Because in the, if you listen, if you remember the introduction sermon, or if you've ever read the first three chapters of Genesis, we find many, many biblical teachings that the current ideology of our society does not agree with. And I understand some of us here today may, uh, at some point in a sermon, hear something preached that also rubs you the wrong way. And if that is the case, and when that is the case, let me make one suggestion don't leave. And don't stop coming. Don't shut your mind off to whatever you just heard that day. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with the Word of God. Reach out to someone or reach out to one of the elders here and begin a dialogue about whatever was said that day that just isn't sitting right. But don't attempt to do it alone. The Christian faith is not meant to be alone. It's not, to be meant, it's not meant to be lived out alone. It's what the church is here for. And, and, I, and I hope you know that it would be a mistake to think that there's one Christian here today, there's not one, that doesn't have to wrestle with something that we read in the Word of God. None of us, not one of us, are perfectly aligned with the Scriptures. And every single one of us needs, needs, let's think of our memory verse from Romans, we need our mind renewed, and the way that we do that is by placing ourselves under the teachings of the Bible and learning, learning, it's not natural, it's supernatural, learning how to submit to the authority of God's word. None of us has a perfect understanding of the Bible, but... You will not grow as a Christian if you shut down to hard teachings. Okay. Point one. Every life is a blessing. Verses 20 through 28. 
I'm going to go to verse 22. On day five, God creates right, the, the, the birds and the sea creatures. And then in verse 22, I'll pick up here, it says, God bless them. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters and the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. Evening came and then morning, the fifth day. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. Notice this in verse 8. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Every life is a blessing. Now even though the emphasis will be on humans today, I wanted to save day five. Because on that day, God inhabits the earth with living creatures, at least the, the seas and the skies, and then the rest on day six. But, but he blessed them, we see that in verse 22, he blesses them how? By giving them the ability to reproduce, or as the text says, to multiply. And therefore, we, we see that humans were not the first ones who were commanded to be fruitful and multiply. More importantly, what we learn in verse 22 and verse 28 by God blessing them is that the ability to procreate is a blessing from God. Or rather, we could say the ability to have babies is a blessing. In fact, we read in the Bible that ability to have baby is the first blessing that God gives his creation. The ability to procreate. That does not put animals and humans on the same level. It's all because he blesses them with the ability to procreate. That doesn't mean animals and humans are equal. We're not. (laughs) I guess it was Providence, so I'll say it. As I was in a store yesterday, uh, there, there was a... Yeah, a young lady sharing photos of her dogs, who she just absolutely adores, with another lady right in front of me. And then she looks at me, and she and I know they're dogs. She's telling me they're dogs. And she goes, they're human. <laughs> no, they're not. No, they're literally dogs. That's what you're, you're looking at dogs. You're not looking at humans. But I think she believes it. They're on the same level with them. I mean, you, I, I know it, for some people we joke around, you know, they, well, we don't have dogs, but, but for some people that have dogs, they're like, oh, look at my children. Ah, it's funny, funny. Well, some people mean that as a reality. These are my children. Oh. You're owners of dogs, you're parents of children. Okay, That's, that was just weird that that came into, that was the day before this sermon, so. We'll see why we're not equal soon enough, but we can initially say uh, the Bible makes a distinction between humanity and the rest of creation, and, and that unique distinction appraises the value of humans above everyone else. That doesn't mean that the rest of God's creation doesn't have value. It does. It does signify, though, that humans are special. Humans are the top tier of God's creation. Now, 
I realize that may seem obvious to you, but it's not as transparent to the culture that we live among. I mean, if, if it were, why is it illegal to harm the eggs of an endangered species, but it's considered reproductive rights when we destroy a human life in its mother's womb? And think about it for a second. How did we become a society who said, save the animals and get rid of the babies? I'd suggest one of the contributing factors to that is because the world is not shaped by a biblical worldview. And instead our culture has been influenced by by many different minds, many different ideologies. Uh, One of them, I don't know if you're familiar with him, uh, Peter Singer. If you're unfamiliar with him, he is currently a professor at the University of Princeton. And decades ago, Singer began to argue that all species, such as animals and humans, are equal. And therefore, he argued that they should have equal value and equal rights. Now that's where it began, decades ago. But that's not where it ended. Recently, he was interviewed about his equality theory, if you will, and even more recent works that he's done. I'm going to read some of the segment from that interview. Singer was asked by the interviewer, can you explain your position against speciesism, the belief that most humans hold that we are superior to other animals? Shouldn't humans count more? His reply was, Just as we accept that race or sex isn't a reason for a person counting more, which we agree with, right? I don't think, he says, that the species of a being is a reason for counting more than another being. What is important is the capacity to suffer and to enjoy life. We should give equal consideration to the similar interest of all sentient beings. Defenders of speciesism argue that humans have a special, rational nature that sets them apart from animals. But the problem is where that leaves infants (laughs) and profoundly the intellectually disabled. He goes on to say, if there are animals that have higher cognitive capacities than some humans, there's no reason to say that humans have more worth or moral status simply because they are human, end quote. What he's arguing against is the defense that humans have more worth than animals because of their abilities, especially their ability to reason in which he points out animals are able to do as well, even more than humans with intellectual disabilities or infants. And therefore, if the status quo for determining one's worth or a being's worth is based on cognitive capabilities, and he argues that some animals actually possess more worth and should be appraised greater or or with greater value than infants and those with intellectual disabilities. And his conclusion still doesn't end there. The interviewer goes on to ask, even says, you've provoked the anger of the disability right advocates over the years. 
including by arguing that parents should have the right to end the lives of severely disabled newborns. What is your response? Singer replied, In general, I think it is better to have abilities than not to have them. Most people hold that view. Yet, it is what the child's future will be like that is really relevant. And I think even in cases where the child doesn't need a respirator, parents should be able to consult doctors to reach a considered judgment, including that the child's life is not one that is going to be a benefit for the child or for their family. And that, therefore, it is better to end the child's life. He suggests the way to decide if a child should be able to live or not is if the parents determine the child's future is going to be a burden on theirs. Not just a burden to the child, but a burden on the future of the parents. Loved ones, afflictions are hard. Suffering is hard. Being a parent is no piece of cake. How have we become a society that's so repulsed by the idea of persevering through suffering that we've decided that ending a life in the womb is justified if we think that the baby will be a burden? Look at the text. Look back at Genesis 1. It does not say in verse 22 and 28 that God burdens parents with children. It says he blesses them. And therefore, every life should be viewed as a blessing. That's counterculture right now. But it's the reality of God's word and the implication from that is that God does not burden parents with children. He blesses them, even those who are intellectually disabled. They have worth. They are a blessing. So that's, that's our next point. Not, o- not only is every, human, is every life a blessing, but every human life has worth. Verses 26 and 27 should read it then God said let us make man in our image according to our likeness they will rule the fish of the sea the birds of the sky the livestock the whole earth and the creatures that crawl on the earth so God created man in his own image he created him in the image of God he created them male and female and God blessed them The notable difference which distinguishes the greater value between animals and humans is already stated. It's not the ability to reproduce. The distinctions made here in Genesis 1, 26, 27. Especially in 27, so God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. There it is. That, that's the distinction. The reason that humans are the crown jewel of creation is because you and I were made in the image of God. Hello, that's it. That's, that's the missing link to Mr. Singer's misunderstanding of animals being equal to humans. Humans do not have a greater value or worth because of our cognitive capacity or our intellectual abilities. 
We have a greater value and a greater worth because we were the ones created in God's image. And there's not one exception in all humanity that values one human over another. That's our application for this point. That's application for the text, because if we're going to fulfill the royal law, and the royal law is what Christ says is to love our neighbor, then we must treat every human being as if they were created in the image of God. And that involves how we perceive them first. For instance, how we view the opposite gender. How should we view the opposite gender, equally. We'll get into gender roles soon soon enough, but the fact that God gave separate gender roles does not mean that he gave one a greater worth. Men are not superior to women, and women are not superior to men. How we perceive other races How should we? Equally, right? The pigment of a person's skin does not determine that they are more superior than the pigment of another person's skin. How we view different ethnicities? Equally. The nation a person lives in or comes from does not lessen their value. How about the disabled? The intellectually disadvantaged, equally. It's not the ability of a human, it's not the ability of a human that increases their value. It's a simple fact that they too were made in the image of God. Infants and the elderly, how should we view them? How should we perceive them? Equally. Age may give a person more wisdom. It's supposed to. But it doesn't give them greater worth. And on the flip side of the coin, our body may depreciate as we get older, but our value doesn't. You don't lose value in the sight of God because you've aged. Your fine wine. How about how we perceive our enemies? Equally. Jesus said, you have heard. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. If your enemy's hungry, give them something to eat. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. And that, loved ones, that, that, that is how radical the doctrine of imago Dei is, which means made in the image of God. But how we love them, or in order to love them as our neighbor, as Christ commands us to do, the initial part of that love is how we perceive them. And we need to perceive them that they were made in the image of God. And if so, we're equal. 
The dogs on the lady's phone, not equal. All of you, equal. There's one people group I left for last. How should a Christian view the person inside the womb of their mother? I ask that question because there's many in our society who do not consider life to begin until the baby is born. Now, now I find all type of scientific flaws with that. And yet we're, we're repeatedly told to trust the science. That is at least until the science has to do with life inside the womb. And at that point, then we're allowed to make exceptions. Now, rather than juxtapose the arguments for pro-life versus pro-choice, which is tempting, I want to just step back, and I just want to ask one question. When does God say that life begins? That's what really matters. I don't care what society says. I don't care what anyone else says. What we should care about as Christians is what, when, what does God say? That is our standard. That is the objective truth that is our, our scepter, as John Stott says. It's how Christ rules his church. So when, when does life begin for God? That was worded wrong. He's eternal. When, when does he say it begins? Psalm 139. For you form my inward parts, God. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. Jeremiah, you're familiar with that one. Oh, you're probably familiar with 139 too. He tells Jeremiah, before I formed you in your mother's womb, I knew you. And I set you apart before you were born. Psalm 127, verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. And the fruit of the womb is a reward. You see, if, if, if we allow the word of God to set the perimeters in regard to how we perceive life, and where does life begin, so pertaining to life in the womb, then, then we unequivocally face the reality that not only does God create life at conception, and life begins, but he also says that he has a plan for every single person that he makes, that even all of our days are numbered before we're even formed in the womb. He knew you before he formed you. It's not just a clump of cells and a mother. It's a life. It's living. And its name is written in a book by God. So you see, 
when a Christian evaluates how, how, how should we view abortion, I don't think it's wrong to ask that if you're asking that question or, or if, if you know someone who's, and they're, and they're just, they're struggling with, oh, I don't know how we should view it. I think the proper response is to figure out first, the very first priority is how does God view life in the womb? That's our starting point. That's the starting point for every Christian. And I think the Bible's quite clear about that. Every life is, is fearfully and wonderfully made. Or the crown jewel of his creation. That's. There's so much evil and sin in this world that shows we have a culture and live among a society who values humans even less than they value the animals. It's sickening. But there's hope. It may not sound like that from this next point, but we'll get there. Every human has worth, but not one is worthy. Verses 26 and 28. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth. And the creatures that crawl on the earth. Subdue the earth and have dominion over creation. When man was created, and woman, man and when people were created, we were given the responsibility to rule over creation as God's representatives. Which means we were to rule over creation with righteousness. Just just as God governs the universe as a righteous king, we were to live as righteous kings on this earth over creation. We were created to be these king-like figures who subdued the earth and had dominion over it. so it's, It's what it means to be made in the image and the likeness of God. With that comes subdue the earth and have dominion over it. Here's the thing, though. That doesn't mean that we were given ownership of the earth. And by that, I mean we were not given the authority to rule over the earth however we saw fit. We had an obligation to obey God by governing the earth as good stewards. We were, we were supposed to be obedient sons and daughters. And see, that's... We're not saying that all because humans have more worth that we're allowed to be bad stewards of the earth or of animals or any of God's creation. We should be good stewards of all of it. That's what we're made for. Rule over the earth righteously. God will be faithful to us. He could not, not be faithful. 
We didn't hold up the end of the bargain, did we? Not our end of the bargain. We haven't arrived at Genesis 3 yet, but we all know what happens. Adam fails to be an obedient son. And he only had one, one command regarding what not to do. We'll title this sermon, You Had One Job. Just one. Don't eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And he did it anyway. And the consequence of Adam's sin was the fall of humanity, which we see is what was responsible for corrupting all humans who were made in the image of God. That's what corrupted God's image. Which means we're still made in the image of God, but sin contaminates that image. Sin contaminates us. So it's no surprise that we see our society becoming increasingly more infatuated with becoming better versions of themselves. They recognize something's wrong. We recognize that something is wrong with our current model. We know it's not functioning or or appears the way it's supposed to. So we attempt to create an image that we think will bring us fulfillment. If If we can just become the image that we think we should be, that will satisfy us. Oh, but there's only one image that has that capability. And humans can't create it. I don't know if you know how crazy it's out there right now. But they, as they, at least teenagers, maybe adults are doing this too, on social media or the, or the pictures that they post and all the filters they use to make themselves look like the way they want to look, there's now plastic surgery to turn a person's face into that type of image that they want because they're not satisfied with who they are. That's the desperation in the hearts of our children because they don't know that they were made in the image of God, so they're seeking for an image and it cannot fulfill and it leads them to even greater desperation because when they realize they cannot get there and even if they do get there, it will not satisfy their Depression grows even greater because they're wondering how in the world they can live up to the standards that society puts on them. And my response to that is society's standards isn't worth trying to live up to at all. But they don't know that yet. I didn't know that before I was saved. If you've ever talked to me about my tattoos, you know how much I dread them. And... (laughs) If you didn't know, you know now. And here's the reason. When I was born again, when I was born by the Spirit, reborn by the Spirit, my, early on my great aunt suggested that I read a book called The Pursuit of Holiness. And just so you know, this isn't an argument saying tattoos are sins. This, don't worry, I'm not saying that. But every morning, my stepmother would drive me to work. We'd ride in the same car, and I'd, you know, I'd read the Pursuit of Holiness by Jerry Bridges, and, 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 and one morning, we're, I think we're at a stoplight, and I just, I just welled up with tears, and, and so much that my, my mom asked me, she said, are you okay? And I just, I just whimpered, yeah, yes, I'm, I'm fine. 
here's the reason I was in tears. Because for the first time through, through reading that book, my tattoos and what they represented about me or what I wanted them to represent about me, I realized I took the image God created and I tried to recreate myself in an image that I thought would be a better version. And my tattoos were clear <laughs> representatives of who I had become. And that image that I tried to recreate myself in fell very short of the glory of God. As I read the book, my, my heart was broken from the self-inflicting damage. That's, up until that point, I had blamed God for so much of the pain and suffering that I had went through. I even resented Him. I, here's the deceitfulness of sin. I resented God for the person I had become. Oh, I created that image. And just like that, in that car, just reading that book, I suddenly realized the man that I had become was never the man that he intended me to be. And it broke my heart, but it broke my heart with joy, too. Because I also realized that the, the, the only image that could ever bring fulfillment was the image that he wanted to shape me into, and he was going to shape me into, and he shapes us all into who are followers of Jesus Christ, and that is the image of his son. I want to conclude with this point. Loved ones, conforming you into the image of Christ, transforming you to be more Christ-like is the will of God for every single person here today. And like Adam, every one of you, like sheep, have gone astray. You too, as well as me, have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And there's only one who has not. One who remained faithful to God. One who represents the image of God radiantly because unlike us who were made in the image of God, he is the image of God. The sinless son of God with whom God is well pleased. And Jesus Jesus is the image of God, the expression of his nature, his exact nature. And what the gospel teaches us is that Jesus, who is the image of God, on the cross became the image of sinners so that sinners would become the image of God's Son. Does that make sense? The righteous died for the unrighteous so that the unrighteous will be declared righteous. That's the cross of Christ. That's what Christ did at the cross. And you can't be made righteous on your own. You must embrace the work of Jesus Christ because only that is sufficient for the forgiveness of sins. The Gospel in Isaiah all we like sheep have gone astray. Every single one of us, we've turned, everyone, to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. On who? On Jesus. 
his anointed one. Jesus was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, and upon him was a chastisement that brought who peace? Us. It brought us peace. And by his wounds we are healed. How can you heal the depression of, of, of the poor teenager who's struggling with it in despair because they cannot become the person they want? You tell them that the gospel can heal that, that only being conformed into the image of Christ is the answer to bring satisfaction and fulfillment to your life. How precious is a human life in the sight of God? You think about that? It's, good. it's a good sermon to think about that. How precious. If you know Ezekiel 33, 11 says that God doesn't even delight in the death of the wicked. He doesn't even delight in the death of the wicked. How precious is a human life in the sight of God? Precious enough that he would come down as one and die on their behalf. Yet, as the point says, while every human has worth, every human life has worth, there's none that are worthy, none but Jesus. And so therefore, loved ones, I plead with you this morning, and I leave you with this. If you haven't, and if you have, continue, and trust your sins to the death of Christ and your eternity to his resurrection. Let us pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, Oh God, I pray that, that there, there, there wouldn't be guilt. The, the, the author of Hebrews says that, that the blood of Christ was able to do something that the blood of bulls and goats were unable to do, and that was cleanse the guilty conscience. And God, I pray that, that, that it wouldn't be guilt that leads people to, to trust in you, to, to allow you to conform us into the image of Jesus Christ and make us more Christ-like, but, but it would, there would be a yearning, there would be a desire, there, there, would, there would be that wanting, Lord, yearning for it, a hunger for it, to know that that, that, that is what's good, that is what's noble, that is what's precious in your sight, that is your will for everyone here today, that is your will for humanity they would be transformed into the image of Christ. God, I pray that you would grant that desire. You would give the desire, and you would grant that desire. And God, we pray for those that we would encounter, whether in church or outside of church, who have committed an abortion, Lord. That God, we would also see them created in the image that you made and that we would also plea with them that the blood of Jesus Christ forgives that too and that they would embrace that and entrust their guilty conscience to your son as well. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.